we'll do it again. Over. Laying down one night, I heard Papa tell Mama. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Look, it's um, it's huge. It's you know if if you're looking at the league in general with anywhere from 11 to 14 possessions per game, you take it away, you get one, they get one less. You take two away, you get two more, they get two, and then just do the math. So. Um, it was it was at that one in five mark that we were not real good with that, and then since that mark we've been really good with that. So um, we got to keep paying attention to it, um, but it, it's it's significant. That of course, Broncos head coach Sean Payton on the Broncos takeaways. By the way, not only have they been on a roll with the takeaways with 15 over the last four games. That's vaulted them into top spot in the league at 22 takeaways now atop the NFL for the Denver Broncos defense that gave up 70 points earlier in the season. Remarkable. Joining us uh, to talk about it is our friend Chris Thomason from the Denver Gazette covering the the team uh, right there at the Denver Gazette. Chris Thomason is the handle on social. That's T-O-M-A-S-S-O-N. And, and Chris, this turnaround, I mean, when you go from 1-5 and five to 6-5, and five, uh, it's not unprecedented. This league's been going on for a long time, and there's been a lot of stories. But it is rare. And to hear Russell Wilson and more than a few players talk about it, it apparently does have to do with the team's culture of a belief in one another, belief in the system, and faith that things will work out. Uh, you've been there on the ground all year. How has it really felt to you to watch this happen week after week after week? Yeah, thanks for having me, first of all. Uh, there's definitely been a belief. I think it really started after they beat Kansas City 24-9 to on October 29th. After that, Zach Allen was talking playoffs, and uh, Javante Williams upped the ante and said, hey, we can make a Super Bowl run, which sounded crazy at the time, but, hey, they've since won – three more games and uh, you know, their next game after that, after Kansas city was beating Buffalo through they're only six and six, but that's still a good win winning on the road there in prime time. And uh, they've beat good teams uh, during this run. So it's not like uh, they've just beaten bottom feeders. So uh, there's a lot of confidence going. Strangely enough, the only team out of the five they've beaten, that's gotten better since being beaten by the Broncos was a team that was considered to be before this stretch began the worst of the five teams. And that's green Bay. Green Bay has actually played better since losing to Denver. Nobody else has the Broncos put the Bills' season on the skids. Uh, they put not necessarily Kansas city seasons on the skids, but Kansas, you can't say Kansas city has played better necessarily. Uh, since uh, they lost to the Broncos. They, they've been winning, but you can't say they're playing better. Uh, Minnesota looked like they still hadn't gotten over the Bronco game last night at home against Chicago, blowing that game, even though they didn't allow a touchdown. And uh, you, know, you, you, you just look over, who knows what, what will happen to Cleveland now, but uh, Cleveland's in trouble if they've got to play P.J. Walker or 
God forbid, Joe Flacco uh, on Sunday. But uh, all that aside, the belief in what is now possible is based on the number of not just star performances, but unsung heroes, people like McMillan and Moreau, who weren't playing at all a month, six weeks ago. And and now, not only are they fixtures, they're major contributors. The offensive line, I, I mean, Garrett Bowles might have played the best game of his professional life the other day against Miles Garrett. If you had told somebody a month ago that Garrett Bowles and Cortland Sutton and Moreau and McMillan would be four of the major contributors that would uh, spur the Broncos on during this five-game winning streak, you'd have gotten a lot of funny looks, right? Yeah, you're absolutely correct. And interesting theory about the Broncos sucking the life out of teams, although I will say that when they beat Chicago earlier in the season, Chicago at least did get better. But uh, Yeah, well, no, they're better now, yeah. Right, right, right. That's kind of interesting. Uh, you mentioning that, but yeah, I mean these unsung heroes, uh, and you probably most people probably thought at the start of the season the uh, name players, yeah, would make an impact. Randy Gregory coming back from injury, he was dispatched. Frank Clark was an intriguing signing. Many people thought he's been dispatched. So it's kind of become these uh, lesser names. You and and they're even 3-0 and without Kareem Jackson. Yeah, true. And Cortland Sutton, with Jerry Judy getting more hype, has emerged as the, um, the uh, better receiver this season of those two. And uh, we've talked about uh, the backfield, too. It looked like Julia McLaughlin had supplanted – Samaj P. Ryan and P. Ryan was history, and now we P. Have Ryan's the their best all around back. P. Ryan. So, <laughs> P. Ryan's uh, their best all around back right now. Yeah, yeah. So uh, a lot of maybe quote unsung heroes, uh, you might say. This offense has kind of been a strange uh, animal. It's sort of neither neither fish nor fowl because uh, we've talked about it being run heavy. You you hear about how it's run heavy all, all season long, and it certainly is. At the same time, they have three rushing touchdowns. I mean, two of them came this last game in total. When they get down towards the the red zone, they actually trust Russell Wilson to make the right decisions with the ball. So it's sort of an odd offense to scheme against because, yes, they're going to run, but then when they get close to the end zone, then they start passing. How much of this is the idea that perhaps uh, Sean Payton has faith in Russell Wilson's decision-making but wants to protect him because of the propensity to perhaps fumble when he gets hit? Yeah, you know, that's an interesting uh, comment there. Russell Wilson has been fumble-prone this season. He, I believe he's lost four, but hasn't cost him big time. You know, maybe in the Jets game it certainly did, uh, where they were driving for a potential tying game. But, um, yeah, it's kind of interesting that uh, they're playing it safe as they go down the field and then uh, – they get a little bit more daring close to the end zone at times. I mean, going for it fourth and two there against uh, Buffalo and then throwing the ball as they did would be an example. And, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see just how much uh, Sean Payton 
continues to open the playbook as the season progresses. Um, there's a stat, and I, I won't steal too much of Sean's thunder, I promise, but it's been roughly 84 years in the history of the National Football League since a defense, after five games, was as bad as this, and all of a sudden in the last six has become one of the top five defensive teams in the league when it comes to preventing points. To whom do you give most of the credit for that almost historically unprecedented turnaround? Well, for starters, obviously, the Miami game skewed things a lot. I mean, they gave up 726 yards, the second highest total in NFL history in that game. But to answer your question, um, I mean, you got to give a lot of credit to Vance Joseph, and that's what a lot of the players are saying. Nick Benito mentioned it yesterday when I asked him on a conference call about the things they do to get takeaways. And the first thing he said, you know, is the credit goes to Vance Joseph. He also talked about how after the Miami game, he told the players, hey, we can still be – an elite defense and uh they've bought into that i mean he didn't say you know hey we can be better he said elite defense and uh they have been elite like in some recent games indeed well you know it is really a remarkable turnaround and yes in vance joseph's case a lot of the idea of trying what he did and we had on this program actually we had commended him for trying to continue making things easier on his players by using the same terminology that Adiro Evero did. The idea that trying to make things it might be easier for him to change than for the rest of his players to change. Uh, this obviously shifted over the course of the year to the point where after beating the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes went on Monday Night Football and Peyton and Eli Manning's broadcast of it over on ESPN and talked about how that's a Vance Joseph defense, identifying it as a Vance Joseph defense and how it caused him a lot of trouble. So in that case, what are the hallmarks of a Vance Joseph defense, and why did it take, quite frankly, a Vance so long to decide to buy into his own defense as opposed to try to keep Everos going? Well, I think he just kind of remained on an even keel basically the whole time. I mean, they never really panicked. I mean, they um, made some tweaks to the defense and that sort of thing, and people were calling for – Vance Joseph's head, obviously, when uh, they got off to that horrible start. But, I mean, what was that really going to accomplish? You're just going to – you're not going to find a defensive coordinator hanging out on the street corner, and yeah. I don't know if there was a viable <laughs> how, how, candidate. Hey, yeah, to, wow, what, a, what an appealing job. Come in and coach a team once the season's underway that just gave up 70 points. Yeah, and I don't know if there was a viable candidate no. <laughs> necessarily just to promote – to promote, but, uh, yeah. And the defense, you know, has been adapting. I mean, uh, Sean Payton talked after the game against the Browns, how going to the single safety and making, right. having a heavier front yep. to, uh, slow down the Browns running game. Well, it scared them. Did. It didn't it, as much slow them down. Wouldn't you say you, I mean, you were there. I think it scared them off. They stopped running the ball. And it, it, there, well, Mark Sanchez can, on the telecast can. was absolutely beside himself. He said, this team's bread and butter is running the ball. They're scared. They're scared to run it. 
Yeah, I don't know if they were scared necessarily, but you could. Oh, do they were doing like all these that gadget plays. That's fear. That's fear, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, but I mean, if you're going against a quarterback like Dorian Thompson Robinson, who's uh, you know not all that great, you can uh, you can do things like that because I don't think he's going to tear you apart. Well, no, so, but, uh, but the point is, why didn't they run? You know, they. But but I think I think you hit on it. I, I think that defensive look scared them, and I mean, they run the ball great. They even without Nick Chubb. They're a top-flight running team, and they ran it well the other day. They averaged more yards per rush than the Broncos did. But they were scared to run it and resorted to these stupid gadget plays, which, I mean, were were great for the Broncos, but I've never seen a team get scared like Cleveland did the other day. So scared that they did put the game in the hands of quarterbacks who obviously aren't necessarily capable starting NFL quarterbacks. That's how scared they were. They'd rather have Dorian Thompson throw the ball, uh, Thompson Robinson throw the ball up for grabs than run the ball with Kareem Hunt. Yeah, because they had an ideal after the Baron Browning uh, penalty there. I mean, they're still down 17 to 12. That was the time where, hey, plenty of time was left. Let's put together a sustained drive. I mean, they had scored a touchdown previously, and then you, you mentioned it. They go to that ridiculous gadget <laughs> play, and that turned, it, turned the game double around. reverse. Are you kidding? With a guy handling the ball who never plays. Brilliant. <laughs> All right. Uh, let, let me ask this then: How is this? Look, they've beaten Patrick Mahomes. They've beaten Josh Allen. Is this sustainable against C.J. Stroud, who is looking like a nearly generational quarterback as a rookie at the very least? How do they sustain this? Do you feel that, that they've run into a little bit of luck, or is, is this legitimate and they can give Stroud some looks that's going to give him trouble? Because not very many other teams have. Well, Stroud is still a rookie. I mean, he's having a great season, uh, perhaps an historic rookie season for a quarterback, but... He's still a rookie, and, uh, I mean, even Peyton Manning, when he was a rookie, you know, had some rookie games. Mm-hmm. So we're still waiting for that uh, rookie game to perhaps happen. And uh, the Broncos, as you well know, have been forcing turnovers, four straight games of three or more, 15 in the last uh, four games. And so I'm sure they've uh, got some things up their sleeve to try to make Stroud look like a rookie and uh, have some turnovers. Well, I look at Houston on offense, and I see a top-10 team. I look at Houston on defense and on special teams, and I don't see a very good team. Um, can the Broncos, in in your opinion and your sense, I know it's very, very early in the week. It's only Tuesday. But can the Broncos play the same kind of offensive game, just play smash-mouth football, uh, throw when the opportunity presents itself, uh, make their fair share of explosive plays and capitalize on what clearly seems to be a weaker defensive team. Much of it, the strength is the offense, the weakness is defense and special teams where the Broncos have a huge advantage uh, on present day form over Houston and played the same kind of game again, maybe with Russell Wilson uh, throwing the ball just 20, 25 times. Yeah, I imagine they certainly can. That's been the formula throughout this five-game winning streak, and 
They've beaten Kansas City, which has a pretty stout defense. You They've bet. gone into Buffalo, you know, tough place to win usually. Yep. And won there. They faced the number one defense yeah. in the NFL and, and kind of tore it up against yeah. the Browns. So, uh, I mean, why wouldn't you uh, try it again? If it doesn't work, well, make adjustments at halftime. He is Chris Thomason from the Denver Gazette. Make sure you check out everything he's putting together at the Gazette with the rest of that terrific sports team there. You get to hear a lot of them on this program. Uh, follow him on social at Chris Thomason. That's T-O-M-A-S-S-O-N. Uh, Chris, it's it's uh, look, uh, it's been hazard pay covering the Broncos for a little while, so I'm glad you, you got here and got a chance to see this turn around. It's been great breaking it down with you, and uh, hopefully we'll see if this continues this week, and then we'll really have something to talk about. Appreciate it. Yeah, we're bar- embarking upon this most interesting road trip. I made a note of it. The Broncos are playing four games, including Sundays, four games in four time zones, and now yeah. three road games in three time zones. Right. Yep, uh, we'll find out how it all shakes out. Thanks, Chris. Thanks. All right, by Chris th- Thomason joining us. By the way, on that point, mm-hmm. the Broncos, three straight games on the road, December 3rd, December 10th, December 16th, or 17th. We don't know yet about the game at Detroit. Only the fourth time in the Super Bowl era that the Broncos have played three straight road games in December. During the previous three such stretches, the most recent of which came in 2010, Denver never won more than one of the three games, and a three-game December road gauntlet is something Sean Payton, as we mentioned earlier, never had to deal with during his 15 seasons with the Saints although he did have two three-game road trips that began the final week of November. So this is something that, uh, for any given franchise, only happens about once every 10, 15 years. Yeah. Where you you get three straight games on the road this late in the season, and uh, it's the latest uh, obstacle in the Broncos' path but maybe not the biggest obstacle they've faced over the last six weeks. Doesn't feel if they like can it. win five in a row, why not win three in a row a on the road, on the road or at least two of the three? As Sean Payton would tell you, that those Broncos histories aren't his Broncos history. So He was care. coaching back in 2000. He was coaching, but he was Just in another conference. Exactly. Right. Well, you know, it might be premature to talk about the local squad, but you can win a trip to the biggest football game of the year courtesy of Superbook Sports. Superbook will fly you and a friend to Las Vegas for February's championship game, and they'll also give you two tickets to the game and a three-night hotel stay. It's easy. All you have to do is place a $25 same-game parlay between now and January 7th, and you're automatically entered to win. So wager and win a super trip to Las Vegas, courtesy of Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. The Colorado Avalanche uh, are looking very much like the Stanley Cup team that they were a season or two prior, and um, they've got things right. As Sandy pointed out yesterday, they're not winning one-goal games. They're blowing teams out. Well, they won that Stanley Cup. They won it over the Tampa Bay Lightning. Didn't go much better for the Lightning last night, but, boy, the Avalanche are building something. We'll talk about them next on My Life Sports.
Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Well, for the second home game in a row, Ryan Johansson, game-winning goal, two goals tonight. But talk to me a little bit about the team effort against Tampa Bay. This is a big victory. Yeah, very, very solid. Um, we've had a few few good, great games here at home, so uh, happy to take care of business in front of y'all, and, and uh, we'll see you next week. And a sold-out crowd nonetheless. We love to see it. Got to give a little love to your goalie. 40 saves for Georgiev tonight. How huge was that for you guys? I think it started with his haircut. He was looking sharp from, from this morning. And uh, he's, a, he's a stud, and he's playing great hockey for us right now. A big win before you head out for three on the road. What's the key to keeping the momentum going when you're away from home? Uh, just, just keep doing what we're doing. Keep, uh, keep, keep playing how we know we can and, and being sharp and ready to go. Thanks so much. Congrats on the win. From our friends over at Altitude Television, that was Katie Goss, who you hear on this program uh, pretty often, talking with Ryan Johansson. I don't know how this happens, but they took two shots away from Tampa after the game was over. So they end up with 38 uh, and actually made take three away because Georgiev finished with 37 saves. But whether it's 37 out of 38 or 40 out of 41, doesn't make much difference. He was terrific. And number two Ryan Johansson again. But that Johansson second, was the number one Second star. straight game where he's the number one star. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He has been. He's been great. Uh, when we when we talked about the addition, we were a little bit worried about, you know, the the injury history, but we liked the idea of the game. And, and his, of, his speed or lack speed thereof. Or lack thereof. Um, but we like the idea certainly is a face-off ace of which he has been. Yep. He has d- delivered everything the Avalanche, I think, hoped oh, I for think so. and a little bit more. I think so. Everything. I, I think so. And added on top of that, with the loss of of some veteran leadership, you get outstanding veteran leadership from Johansson as Every, well. Everybody talks about Kadri from two years ago. Well, that was a career year for Kadri, of which he's never never and, approached and, and never, never got back. Never approached, to. and he'll never get back anywhere near that kind of season again. Eighty-seven no. points, I think it was, uh, two years ago, and he was of course great in the playoffs. And we all know what a, a wonderful story that was. And he still gets a warm greeting. He got one on Saturday night. Uh, uh, you know, he's acknowledged every time he comes back here. And, it, it, you know, they, it, it, the Avalanche did themselves proud over the weekend, by the way. They 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 brought in Chris Snow's family, the late Chris Snow. I happen to know a little bit. I sat with him on a plane once, and we had a long conversation, and I found him fascinating. Um, as an analytics person, but not a nerd, uh, had a, good, a great baseball guy who worked in the National Hockey League. Mm-hmm. And they invited his family in. And Makar's from Calgary, uh, where Chris Snow worked right. uh, before he passed away. And his family was thrilled to be there. They got jerseys from Makar, signed by Makar. And uh, the Avalanche rolled out the red carpet for him. And I, that that's one of those moving scenes. Uh, good for the Avalanche. Good, good on them for doing that. And, uh, you know, the Cadre welcome, you know, he's still – Popular with fans. That's never going to end. As long as he plays, it's, he's going to he's going to get the hero's welcome every time he shows up. Uh, San Antonio, Greg Popovich went crazy when they were booing Kawhi Leonard the yeah. other night. Not an issue with Kadri, <laughs> but Kadri doesn't get booed here. Um, so, I, I think there's a good feeling around this team right now. Um, and the uh, Larry Nashushkin, uh, well, he didn't pick up a star last night because you had to give Johansson the first and Georgiev the second and Makar. A uh, ho hum, a goal, an assist mm-hmm. plus two, 
in 26 minutes and 28 seconds. Uh, just a normal third start night for Kale McCarr, who could get number one star in, in or either McCarr or McCarr, McKinnon. by the way, as a sidebar now, fourth in the NHL in scoring behind only Nikita Kucherov, JT Miller, and Quinn Hughes, the other uh, offensive defenseman, yeah. to fairly to say. Right. Fourth in the, the entire league in scoring. He's first in the league in assists with 26. Teammate Nathan McKinnon, who had two last night, is tied for third. With 21. This team hands out the helpers. Quick note on Nashushkin. Uh, he scored the empty netter. Uh, yes. Uh, since uh, his child was born uh, about two weeks ago, he's been on fire. And uh, Jared Bednar noted this week that maybe before that, uh, awaiting her birth, a uh, little bit distracted. Understandable. Um, Nashushkin, a hard guy to know. But as we mentioned yesterday, has uh, established a very close friendship with Prozvatov, the young goaltender, who was very good, speaking of the game against Calgary on mm-hmm. Saturday night. And then Georgiev came back and played it, at least as well, I thought, uh, last night, although the Avs had the game well in hand. But Saturday night it was 3-1. Last night it was 4-1 with the empty netter uh, by Nishushkin at the end. But Nishushkin played almost 24 minutes last night, had a goal, was plus one. McKinnon had two assists, even though he was sick, it played. Two assists, plus one in 21-45, and Rantanen, uh, one assist, plus one in 22-20. Uh, pretty good. That We were talking during the break. The guy among the forwards who played the most after mm-hmm. the top three That's guys is Jonathan Drouin, which is interesting. And he's getting, you say, why is he getting more ice time than Johansson? Tatar or Wood or Colton or O'Connor or Cagliano or Olofsson or uh, Kibi Ranta. Uh, well, he's on the number one power play. That's why. Uh, he he is up there on the number one power play with Nashushkin, Ranton, McKinnon, and McCarthy. And that only happens because Jared Bednar trusts him. He's trusting him to be responsible, and, and, and I, I think you've seen that confidence grow in, in Nashushkin's case now. Eight games in which the Avs have gone seven and one, mind you. Eight-game scoring streak, uh, eight goals, four assists during that span. That is red hot. And, Can't get and, any hotter than that. No, and and Duran, in this case, is getting those minutes. And, and boy, you talk about Chris McFarlane, the, the, the Avs GM, hitting the right spots. Johansson has been everything you've wanted. The Duran experiment was a very cheap experiment. Yeah. And it is slowly starting to bear fruit. The, very quietly under the radar, the addition of Frederick Olofsson, who's been a depth forward for them, but very uh, very effective yeah, and reliable yeah, for what his role. He, and, and durable, you know, the, and so... Tatar is starting to, to re, re, you I, know, get, I think Tatar, re-engage a little bit. They've moved him back to the second line now, and and he seems to be playing better. But you've added, I, you I know, Kivaranta. Uh, yeah. the, the additions have just been but I, hit after hit after last hit after hit. year, because of all the injuries... They were playing people two or three minutes more per game than they should have been playing. And I'm even talking about the Stars because yeah. I think they got worn down. I think McCarr got worn down. Mm-hmm. McCarr had injuries late in the year, including a concussion. Uh, I think that may have affected him. But what affected him most was he played 26 and a half minutes a game. Which he did last and, night. And, 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 and No, I understand that. But, but it's not been that way. Many games, Taves has played more minutes than McCarr has yes. played. When McCarr is going, yes, he's out there a lot. And they're on the power play four or five times in a game. McCarr is going to get minutes. Yeah. Uh, and Taves is on the second power play unit, which isn't used as much as the first power play unit is. Uh, but 
much as Malone uh, coached a gem last night at Crypto.com Arena in Los Angeles, uh, I, Bednar hit the team hard at exactly the right moment. Yep. Because the only game they've lost since, and we talked about the flukish nature of the loss to Nashville yeah. um, eight days ago. Uh, I was reading today, and I, I didn't watch the whole third period, but 64.5% of the play and the scoring chances was Nashville's in that third period. And, yeah, you know, you think, well, we blew one because we had a lead with 40 seconds to go and we couldn't even get to overtime. Uh, we gave up two goals in the last minute which is like the other stat we gave in the Broncos, something that happens about once every 85 or 90 years. Yeah. That, that, that you you lose, God, I mean, you, you your team loses something. Um, it, 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 losing a game in the last minute when you have the lead by a goal and losing with two goals given up in the last minute is, is highly unusual. But, you know, sometimes in sports you get what you deserve, and Nashville badly outplayed the Avalanche in the third period. And, Okay, they scored two goals in the last 40 seconds of the game, but they could have scored two goals in the first 40 seconds of the period. Nobody would have said anything. The, the point you made on McCarr's n- numbers really matter because when you're talking about those minutes on ice, and I want to make it a, as a, maybe an easier way to understand it. So last year, he averaged 26 minutes and 22 seconds on ice. That was yep. tops in the entire Almost NHL. 26 and a half. Right now, yep. it's 24 minutes and 15 seconds. That's all the way down to 18. But that's my two- or three-minute theory. He played two or three minutes more right. than he, even during the Stanley Cup year he averaged, and so did other stars and, yes, other people. So, I won't yeah. name names, but we all know on the second and third lines, guys were playing because of injuries who are fourth-line guys or fringe players. But two minutes and seven seconds per game is the difference, and it's enough to drop him from tops in the league to 18th. But here's the way to look at it. Over the course of the season, over an 82-game season. That's a lot. That is, now, at, at his current rate of 24, which is still top 20 in the league, if, if you kept that rate of 24 minutes a game, just 24 minutes, even a little less, and that's, that's two minutes, almost two and a half less than last year, Sandy, that's the equivalent of playing seven fewer games for Kale McCarr. Yeah. Seven. Yeah. This is an 82-game season, folks. That's almost 10% of the season. Right. Right. And you know. So two not, minutes a game doesn't seem play. like it's that much. He, but in the end, when you're talking about them going into the playoffs. Right. But so, when you're talking to going into the playoffs, but it's the equivalent over the course no, of a season of playing an extra seven. They're saving that much wear and tear on Kale McCarr. When that comes Absolutely. to the playoffs, that pays off in an enormous way, and it, and it matters not only for McCarr, but it matters for a lot of the players. And what you've talked about, Nachushkin, Nathan McKinnon played 21 minutes and changed last night. Yeah. And you have an opportunity now with, with the goaltender in Prospisov, who appears to be an effective enough backup, that now you can reduce the number of games that Georgiev has to play. Georgiev in his last three games hasn't been under 90% saves, hasn't even been under it in the last three games. All of a sudden, I he, think he's still under it he, for the year. Yes, but in the last four games, he went from four goals surrendered to two, to two, to one. Yeah, and, yeah. and the last three, ninety percent or better. Fatigue in the NHL season is very real, cumulative. and it need and it is cumulative, and it needs to be managed. And the fact that Jared Bednar knows how to manage it, but he's been supported by very, very good the the decision to put both Pavel Francouz and Gabriel Landeskog on long term injured reserve. 
critically important. It freed up about $9 million to now be able to add to players the Tatars, the the Woods, the Druans, yeah. uh, to Colton. be able to make a trade for a Colton. These are the moves that can't be made unless they may, they put those guys on LTIR. No, you're right. You're and so right. now that investment will pay off when it comes to the playoffs. And if there's anything I look at, I don't think the Avs were the inferior team to the Kraken, but they were certainly the more tired one. Oh, and that's the issue yes. that the Avalanche are set to alleviate, given what they've done in this offseason. And and again, you know, two or three minutes a game means a lot. Kale McCarr is not going to play eighty-two games this year. Probably play seventy-five, seventy-six, if if all goes well. permitting, right? Okay, then you're reducing that down to below seventy. In effect, right? Mm-hmm. With all, with less time on ice. Uh, last year, what did he play? Sixty. Yeah. Okay, so uh, this year uh, he'll he'll play fewer minutes. He'll play the equivalent of sixty-eight games, but maybe knock on wood without serious injury, uh, miss a few games here and there. I I just think they're set up beautifully. It, it looks like Lekkonen won't be back much before the first of the year. Probably not. But it doesn't. He's not really doing anything now. Although Bednar says he's making fine progress uh, from his neck injury, and every time Bednar talks about it, every time I hear people talk about that injury, they say it could have been so much worse. And I mean, the guy's still going to miss about two months. But now, <laughs> but now you have more but minutes now for you Drew. Get him back, and you know what that means? It means that you can let Detroit spend for Patrick Kane if Detroit wants to do that. I think it's an excellent move for Detroit. By the way, yes. But that the Avalanche Kane goes to did not need no. Patrick Kane no. coming off an injury that I am told is an injury that players just don't come back from. And you from talk about 30s. foot speed changes. You were concerned about Ryan Johansson. Uh, the, the, the metrics even went healthy with Patrick Kane at this point. He is a subpar defender would be putting it nicely. He is a minus guy. On defense, and the Avalanche are focusing on their forecheck, being responsible. Yes. That's one of the focuses. The main yeah. reason that Jared Bednar tore them up and down a couple of weeks ago is because, quite frankly, they were not being careful with the puck and creating their exactly. own turnovers. That's and that's right. the kind of mistakes that Patrick Kane can't recover from. So I hope it works out for Kane. Uh, I I don't think it's a great fit. I don't really know where Detroit's going, but the Avalanche didn't Well, Detroit's third right now, and they're in a tough division with Boston and Florida ahead of them. And they got Tampa Bay. It feels and Toronto a bit like a mirage, them. but I don't know. We'll see. I I don't know. I don't think it is. I I think Detroit's a, a good young team. I'm not saying they'll finish third, uh, but I think they'll be in the playoffs. I I do. I think they'll be in the playoffs. Uh, but this is how tight it is in that particular division. Detroit 25 points in third place. Tampa Bay 25 points in fourth place. Toronto 23 points. Buffalo. Went into Madison Square Garden last night, beat the Rangers five to one. So, and the Rangers, the only team that's lost fewer games than the Avalanche this year. So, even the Rangers can lay an egg at home from time to time, the way the Abs did against St. Louis. The Avalanche will be back at it tomorrow against the Arizona Coyotes. They are, by the way, atop their Central Division and only one point behind the Vegas Golden Knights for the top spot in the West. They have gotten their head right. And if you want to get your head right, well, we've got the guy for you. We've got the guy. He's Dr. Rick Perea, the performance psychologist extraordinaire. I've known Dr. Perea for more than a decade. He's the best in the business. And uh, mental health has been very much in the news of late uh, with uh, Samuel Girard 
openly talking about mental health issues and checking himself into the uh, NHL program that's specifically designed to treat depression, uh, anxiety. Uh, Dr. Rick Perea gives you your checkup from the neck up on Wellness Wednesdays every week at 5.30 right here on Mile High Sports, and it comes in podcast form, so you can listen to it anytime on milehighsports.com. Dr. Perea was the psychologist of the world champion Denver Broncos back in 2015. He's worked with the Rockies when they were actually going to the playoffs in consecutive seasons, believe it or not. And, of course, he's worked in the past with the now world champion Denver Nuggets. But most importantly, Dr. P helps middle and high school performers to reach peak levels. Whether you're an everyday performer at work, at play, or at school, call Dr. P today at 720-287-0933. That's 720-287-0933. Or look them up at Dr. P at think1number4u.org. That's think1for-u.org. Well, for the Broncos, the most maligned part of their team over the last few years, and justifiably so, have been the offensive line. That may be starting to change. A little bit of familiarity, a little bit of health, and a little bit of well, dominating the Cleveland Browns defense will do that for you. Russell Wilson talks about the O-line, and we'll take a look to find out if this was the best performance the Broncos have had in seven seasons. Potentially so. We'll talk about it on My Life Sports next. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Yeah, I, I thought this game was um, a big game for us because our offensive line, you know, they did a tremendous job in the past game and the run game. Obviously, they got one of the best, you know, guys in, in the world over there in, in, in Miles Garrett, and I thought uh, Garrett Bowles played great. The whole line played great across the board. I think Powers, as physical as could be, Cush, smart and physical. Quinn has been dominant all year, and McGlinchey. I mean, that guy can move. So, I mean, we just we, we, we ran the ball extremely well, made some, you know, key, key catches and passes in the, in, the, in the passing game when we really needed to. Um, and guys just made plays. How about Troutman's catch? Huh? That was pretty sweet. So um, just guys were, um, you know, we knew that this was going to be a long, drawn-out game. They've, they've won a lot of close games, these guys. And they're, you know, obviously they've uh, coached extremely well, talented team, um, a lot of great players. And so we had to come out ready to play for our fans and, and get this win. Russell Wilson doing uh, what smart quarterbacks do, calling out every single one of their offensive linemen by name when they have a good game, and they all well, did. Well, he, he was not exaggerating. They, they were terrific uh, across the board. Uh, it wasn't in love with powers uh, necessarily, but uh, didn't play badly. And, and the other four guys were great. Well, that was the thing. And, and Powers, Bowles, powers Bowles was fine. It's went just up against other, Garrett. And Bowles had the game of his career. More uh, than held his own. Best game that Garrett Bowles has ever played in his career. I think so. Uh, you could argue maybe the best game that Lloyd Cushenberry's played in his career. Maybe. Uh, Quinn Miners, I think, has been by far the best He's been lineman, their best and He's been consistent all year. But McGlinchey um, getting the penalties have gone away. Uh, uh, for now, hopefully. Hopefully. Good. Uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully the timing. for good but, I mean, for, it's, for his sake. But but give, give them this. And you and I were talking about it a little bit. You know, how long has it been since... 
this offensive line has performed at only that, a decade this level. Yeah, only a, a decade. decade. But some of this has to do with continuity. And we had Cody Rourke on yesterday for Miley Sport, the lead Broncos writer, and he rightly shouted out the training staff, the new training staff and new nutritionist, because there are only five teams in the NFL, Sandy, whose offensive line has taken, they're starting up five, have taken more than 70.6% of the snaps. So fewer than <laughs> three of, out of four. Now, the interesting is the five that do uh, have had great luck. The low Atlanta has done it, 94.9% of their snaps. Yeah. Kansas City at 96.1. Right. Buffalo at 97.1. Cincinnati at 97.7. And the Denver Broncos. Number one, 99% of the snaps taken by your starting five. And we talk about how there is no way to microwave the chemistry between a line. There isn't. SCU can tell you. Yeah. But the closest thing to it is this. Take all the snaps together. And essentially, that's what the Broncos have been able to do. And I think you're seeing that. Uh, and the other part of the improvement, I'm not he's not part of the offensive line, but I went back and looked at the game yesterday, and I actually went back and looked at it a little bit this morning as well. Uh, there is a reason. We mentioned it with Chris Thomason earlier with Samaji Pirine. A blitz pickup is top flight. But well, that's why I say he's the best all-around back. Uh, there were two sacks of Russell Wilson's that would have absolutely been sacks, except for Pirine immediately seeing the blitz, one of them was disguised, seeing the blitz, cutting through Cushionberry and Miners to cut off the blitzer and just stonewall them. Uh, P. Ryan has essentially been an, an extra offensive lineman, and he's a hard runner, and he's one of the best pass catchers on the team. A major addition to this offense. And other than the pass blocking, he was none of those things the first half of the season. This is really since the bye week, a fairly recent development where we've seen him as a receiver, uh, he's always been good at pass protection, picking up the blitz. And as a ball carrier, he, <laughs> listen, he uh, was running the workhorse hard. running back for Denver is Javante Williams, but Javante Williams drops one or two passes every game. Let's, mm-hmm. let's be honest. Yeah. I love Javante Williams. I, I think he can be special, uh, but he's coming off a knee injury. Um, they're not afraid to use him. He carried the ball 18 times the other day, right? but, their best all-around back with no holes in his game is P. Ryan. Yeah, who, by the way, you know, Javante had 65 yards on that 18 carries. P. Ryan had 55 on seven. And uh, the fact that this is all working out because you have a couple of backs, and, and you can mix in. Uh, yes, you can mix in McLaughlin. Uh, they only had two carries, and they didn't work out. But you can mix him in here and there. But at this point, it has basically been go power running game. Uh, right. You're stacking up two power guys in Javante Williams, and I get it. Javante's got burst and he's got wiggle. I get it. But but he's a power guy, and P. Ryan is a power guy. And the Broncos are just going, the paraphrase child way, plan B, we're going plan A, and that's where we're going to run the ball down your throat. And, and thus far it's worked. The question I would have for you going forward, and I know it's, it's getting ahead of things, it was almost a foregone conclusion that the Denver Broncos would move on from Garrett Bowles after this season. Now, left tackles are not hard to find, are not easy to find. No. Uh, they're extremely hard to find. In fact, I would argue behind quarterback, they might be the second hardest position to find in the entire league. Has Garrett Bowles played himself back into the idea that the Broncos should retain him? Maybe. Maybe. I, I mean, I, I could see him bringing back all these guys. Uh, if it if, continues to work, you know, like they're, this, they're keeping them healthy. Uh, they are getting better because they are playing together uh, without interruption. Why not? Uh, and 
you know, maybe Bulls is having sort of a career renaissance. He had the one great year in 2020, and I, I didn't think it was entirely fair to say that, well, they just, in a pandemic year, stopped calling holding penalties. I mean, holding uh, did go down 50%, but I get your point. It, it, it did, but the way Garrett Bowles up through last year held, those penalties would be called in any Oh, yeah. Yeah. Whether holding is being emphasized or de-emphasized, regardless, the way he held in the past, got- and as recently as last year, I mean, there were no, no question about it. And his refusal to fully, you know, he's like a little bit like Kareem Jackson does this year. Well, I don't know how to play. Well, stop holding. Uh, I don't know how to play if I can't hit people in the head with my helmet. Uh, You know, it's ridiculous. But he played so well the other day that he made Miles Garrett disappear. And the only times you noticed Miles Garrett was when he was on the sidelines with the, you know, the parka on. Uh, either limited or not able to play at all. And listen, he he was out there. He made no excuses after the game. Bowles, to my way of thinking, was the Broncos offensive player of the game. I couldn't agree more. And maybe Piran was second. Yep, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> look, they're playing power football, folks. That's how it's going with the Broncos. It's working. Thus far, five consecutive wins. They have an opportunity to actually take control of their own playoff narrative, a concept just a month ago, hilarious to even consider. And here they are doing that. We have a chance to talk about it with Chris Thomason, of course, in the Denver Gazette. If you missed any part of the program, you can always catch that at MyLifeSports.com or make it easy on yourself and get the app where you can get all of those things, uh, all the programming we have here, all the writing, all the uh, videos, all of it, all in one spot. And we thank all of you who have done that and hopped on the app and, uh, taking advantage of all that that provides for you. We don't charge for it. It's just, you know, it's for you. Just go ahead and grab it. Thanks for everyone listening as well. It is your show, whether it's FMHD, Miley Sports, or the app. We appreciate it. Thanks to Chris Thomason for joining us. Danny Bailey's the man in the booth that makes everything work. We will be back tomorrow doing what we do on this program. Every team, every day, talking about all of it. That's uh, what experience brings you. That's what we bring you every single weekday. For Sandy Clough, I'm Sean Drotar. We'll be back in about 22 hours, but you don't have to go anywhere. Keep it right here on My Life Sports. Oh,